Welcome to another episode of Built on Web3. Today's episode is a project deep dive where each week Thomas and I chat about a Web3 project that looks interesting to us. We're both Web3 enthusiasts just trying to learn as much as possible right alongside all of you. Today we're doing a deep dive into the Web3 project disco.xyz. Okay, so after all my research and prep on this, Thomas, I think I have officially been disco pilled, as they say. I don't know about you. Um, but <laughs> I heard it, people use this term, so I think it's a real term I, that uh, once not, you figure so it out, you're, 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 dis- you, you're disco pilled. <laughs> yeah, you got you got reading some weird YouTube or <laughs> watching some weird YouTube videos. <laughs> a deep rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd heard of disco before and and heard the founder evan speak around the internet um Mm -hmm. but now that i've done the research into it they're building something really really cool and i'm excited to talk about this so first what is disco disco allows you to show up to any physical or digital environment and receive a personalized experience based on the parts of yourself that you wish to present that's pretty, there's, there's a lot of depth in there, and I'm sure we'll dig into all of that. Um, mm-hmm. The problem they're solving here is that I could kind of suss out is their, their whole thesis is that not all data is appropriate to be on chain. Uh, because mm-hmm. if it's on chain, it's public, it's permanent. Blockchains are public for the world to see forever. Disco believes that personal identifiable information doesn't belong on chain and that. This is a hugely limiting aspect of, of Web3. And it's kind of tough because blockchain has all these um, tribes. Like there's a lot of tribalism in, in you know Web3. So there's the Bitcoin maxis yep. and there's the on-chain maxis that think everything needs to be on-chain. Mm-hmm. So how is Disco solving this issue? Um, they've created what they call a data backpack. And in this backpack is your personal data uh, that's private by default. And you can take this backpack to any environment and decide which parts of that data you want to show. So, um, and then the last piece here, and then we can get into it, is what tech is involved here. And so this is kind of where I was kind of a little bit mind blown because um, I hadn't even heard of some of this stuff. And it was kind mm-hmm. of like opening up this whole new world. So on the outside, Disco uses a technology called DIDS or Decentralized Identifiers. Uh, which is just recently recognized as a standard by w three c who is the you know the group that does http smtp all that the, the, the wizards yes um and then inside the data backpack are things called verifiable credentials um and like i said this is kind of where the rabbit hole opened so let's start there um where do you want to take this <laughs> well let's sign, uh, like start with the let's start with the concept of what uh like why this is useful uh, or like why the whole on-chain versus off-chain piece and why it's important to have control over that. Uh, because I think that's a interesting distinction that could be easily overlooked or at least was by me uh, when I started researching this. Yeah. I mean, it seems like from what I can understand why Disco has to exist is because there's your personal data shouldn't be on-chain because on-chain is public, it's permanent, and it's it's immutable. So mm-hmm. why would you want to put personally identifiable information on there? Well, and I think and I, I agree with that. Well, I think... Um, so I would probably tweak that statement just a little bit. So yes, I agree, but no, do I think it's... I, I think what Evan and what Disco is doing is it's more so giving you the right to decide versus... The other way, if it's on-chain, you just have like no decision or no say in the matter of if it's going to be public or private versus this gives you that ability to say, this personally identifiable information, if I do really want public, I can have that option. But for those individuals that don't, then they can actually keep it private. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there's information, like one of the biggest things that Evan says is we're, you know, we're humans, we're evolving. And that means the data... Mm-hmm. The personal personal identifiable data is also evolving. So if you put this personal identifiable data on chain, it's permanent and it's there forever and you can't change it. So what if you evolve and you need that data to evolve? You you can't do that on the blockchain. Or if you want it to change or sorry, if you don't want it to be public anymore. So what you said is a part of it, but 
but like, I don't think that's the the main reason, right? Like, yeah, the, it, it, the data backpack allows you to choose public or private, but there's information that you don't want to be public in the first place that should never be public. Things that you never want public in the first place are probably like maybe where you live, uh, your phone number, even yeah. though the scammers still know how to get you. Um, yeah. But like, this information could be really useful in certain environments, right? Yes. Yeah. Like you would want to bring that information some places, but you wouldn't want it just on the blockchain for the world to see. Yep. And if you think about it right now, that's kind of what we've done by putting our data and a lot of this information even on either that's Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I feel like LinkedIn is probably between Facebook and LinkedIn, they probably have the biggest trove of data because they have all this stuff. And we have privacy-ish settings that we can control. But in the early days of LinkedIn, when they were a little bit more free and open, you could see a lot more information and you didn't have control over what was actually public or not. And the funny thing is, is that you can actually see what was previously public too. That lives somewhere because there was some crawler that archived it and now it's out there. Um, trying to get that back is virtually impossible at this point. Yeah. So the technology that they use here um, for keeping data in your backpack, like I said, are verifiable credentials. And this is a new thing that I had never, I didn't know this existed before. Mm -hmm. And the way I understand these are they're off-chain NFTs. They're cryptographically signed by a DID, by a decentralized identifier, mm -hmm. about another decentralized identifier. It contains proof about the recipient. Um, so, for example, Bob is a member of Dow House. That could be a verifiable credential. Or Bob's diploma from Yale University. That could be mm -hmm. a verifiable credential. And basically, the university signs this credential as the university about the, the identifier, Bob. Is the university the did there, the decentralized identifier? No, no, no. So um, the did is just an identifier. So it's a string of text. So it's gotcha. basically your Ethereum address with a few um, characters in front of it. It's DID colon, and then there's like a schema that they use for the, mm -hmm. the identifier. What I had written down for what a decentralized identifier was is it's an alias for an existing address, whether that's mm -hmm. like a Bitcoin, email, Ethereum address. Anything. That can yep. prove ownership over other identifiers. And yep. this other identifier is that VC, that verifiable credential. Is that right or no? Uh, no. So I think it's the email or mm -hmm. the Ethereum address. So it just oh. proves that you that you you're the owner of that address. So if my email is thomas at gmail.com, I can have the alias, this did, that yep. is, you know, um, grass mower. It's, D it's DID colon email colon thomas at gmail.com. Gotcha. Or whatever it and, is. And that other piece can't, it, and then you're proving that you have ownership over this this Thomas without actually revealing that you're yeah. Thomas, I guess. At and that point? so, so you have this, yeah. So you have this did it'll be a decentralized identifier. So, like, right in in the Web three world, I have an ENS address, uh, Sean Crow .eth, right? Mm -hmm. So I um, I could have a did. I will have a did at some point, a decentralized identifier that. Um, shows I own Sean Crow.eth. Mm -hmm. Now that did is basically the represents. So I, so I think what I understand is that within that did, it can basically point to all these things, my data backpack, all these things that I own, my verifiable credentials that people have given to that did. Right. So if I go to Yale mm -hmm. university, Yale can say, did Sean Crow.eth, you've graduated, <clears throat> here is your diploma. And that shows up in my data backpack. Mm -hmm. um, and I can choose to show that to whomever I would like. Gotcha. And when you show that, they can prove that that thing that you have, that diploma, 
from Yale or Miami. I don't know. I keep on using Yale here. Uh, but when you when you have that, they can prove that yes, this actually came from them because that body, that university, has their own like signing or signature. Yeah, yeah, ba- yeah. So they'll, they'll basically you. Um, <clears throat> if somebody is looking at my diploma, they can open it up and see, oh, Miami University. Uh, or th- th- you basically open up this verifiable credential, and mm-hmm. it says um, it's signed by this person who issued the verifiable credential, and it was issued to this person. And mm-hmm. the way you see that is by this those dids, right? So the signing did. You can go and look to see who owns that, and um, so Miami University you know, could attach that did to their website. And I know exactly who that is. Well, and the cool thing here is that you have these VCs, these verifiable credentials, um, can have expirations. Uh, they can't be tampered with this basically. And if we think of it as an NFT, it could be transferred to someone else, but it'll always still point back to you. They're Um, non-transferable. Oh, they're non-transferable. Mm-hmm. I thought you said that they could be transferred. No, no, no. So verifiable credentials are non-transferable. Gotcha. Um, so you can't. It's just. It's just there or it's not. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought I read. Or and, the, heard and this is a like huge. That. So there's a. So let's talk about the differences between NFTs and and verif- VCs, verifiable mm-hmm. credentials, and that's. Probably the biggest one is that they're non-transferable. There's things called soul-bound tokens that are non-transferable, but that's kind of a debate right now if those should exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but the so like so NFTs, they're on-chain, they're public, they're immutable. They don't offer any context to how they were acquired, right? So if there was a Miami University diploma NFT, I could go buy that from somebody. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, and that proves nothing about me. Because I just bought it. I didn't go or, to, you know. Or you could even transfer it from one wallet to another that you own, but there's no way to prove that you mm-hmm. were the holder of both of those wallets or you just you know, did a side deal with someone to just give it to you. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why this concept of soulbound tokens came about is non-transferable NFTs. But there's mm-hmm. a lot of problems with that because they're public, right? So... Miami could issue me a non-transferable NFT soulbound token that says it's my diploma. But if we allow that to happen, there's a lot of illegal and stupid things that can happen. Um, like what if they issue it to the wrong address and they just gave a diploma to a wrong person? Yep. Or what if somebody issues a soulbound token with, you know, illicit content on it and mm-hmm. it's just stuck in my wallet forever. So there's some problems with that. So the, Verifiable credentials are the non-transferable off-chain version of that. That is private by default. So, I, and I guess the other cool thing about VCs is that they require consent. So that if someone does send you illicit content, you can actually say, "Well, yes or no" to that, and you can decide. <laughs> If you want to show said illicit content to someone or not, uh, or you don't even have to have it with you as opposed to then being in that trouble spot of, well, now it's stuck. It's stuck with me. Everyone can see that I have it for me to get rid of it is going to like leave a trail for me to start anew means that I literally have to start anew and I have none of that legacy kind of history of all the other transactions or all the other things that I've done to prove that, Hey, I am actually a legitimate, you know, legitimate person that's done this X, Y, and Z. Um, and I have that, um, kind of like record behind me, so to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just don't, after going through this, I don't really understand how soulbound tokens will work in the real world. Like I, to me, this seems like the only way forward is an off-chain solution. I I think there's pros and cons, and uh, like learning this, I think there's more cons than there are pros. But there's also different to, to situ- more cons to what um, with soulbound tokens, mm-hmm. and maybe it'd be good to have just like an episode on soulbound co- tokens versus yeah, like yeah. VCs. Because I, I will add an asterisk to what I was saying. I would say. I only see the way forward for off-chain solutions for personal information. 
Yeah. Like I could see, and I, you can, de- depending on what the topic is, I could see someone coming at it from both sides, um, as in terms of they support or they don't support soulbound tokens. Because let's say the government, so, so the original soulbound token kind of example was the whole a credit bureau gives you a credit score. Um, and that's really cool. Uh, but And it's kind of like stuck with you and says like, hey, this is great. Um <laughs> But then the other, you know, scenarios, spam, illicit content, all this other stuff, you just don't have like an option to it. Uh, but the other, you know, thing could be, well, the government could mark you as like, hey, you've been convicted of a, a crime, for example. If you have the option to say yes or no to that, I think most people would probably opt to say no, because they mm-hmm. don't want to give consent that they have this. And maybe that's a good thing in some situations, but maybe it's a bad thing in others because you don't have that like track record. And so I think that there's so many different edge cases we can come up with where they're either good or bad, depending on like what it is that, yeah, we could have like a long discussion on that. And I think Vitalik has got to be thinking of this stuff because he recognizes that like as things, and Evan pointed this out too, as it becomes cheaper and easier to mint NFTs or soulbound like NFTs or tokens, whatever, like we will introduce spam and we will mm-hmm. introduce bad actors to the space because that's exactly what happened to the internet at the early days. Always happens. Yeah. They always get you. Marketers. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think there's a, like Evan's really focused on the founder of, Disco is really focused on inclusivity and mm-hmm. making sure that underrepresented groups aren't being isolated in Web3. And I think mm-hmm. Soulbound Tokens, like she argues that, that Soulbound Tokens can be really dangerous for them because you can, like if, if you're given um, a diploma from a certain university or like, I don't know, some information that you can like assume data like mm-hmm. assume what that means. So like in web three, you're pretty anonymous. There's not a name. There's not a profile picture. There's not a, there's no information about you. But if you have all these things that you had no choice to, that are showing up in your wallet, mm-hmm. a credit bureau could assume a lot of things about you based on a diploma or yep. a, or whatever that, you know, maybe you went to an all black school and yep. you got a diploma from there. Now all of a sudden in an anonymous supposedly anonymous environment, a Web3 credit bureau can assume with 90% certainty that you're a person of color. And that's Mm -hmm. like a huge problem um, that shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be part of a a world that we're promising. Um, Yeah. Anonymity and anonymity. I can't say that word. (laughs) Yeah. I know what you're trying to say. I, I can see it. um, I can see it both ways there. Uh, Yes. I agree that it can, that you can get um if people want to i think if people want to make decisions or statistics or computations or whatever the people in insurance is called um actuaries i think or it's just like data science right here if you want to segment a a, a group of people whatever that might be whether that might be like race religion or like like tendencies and stereotypes um, you probably can do that regardless of what data you have, just because they're already doing that with all the de-identified like, uh, information. And so it kind of begs the question, well, yes, this solves one, but will we ever be truly anonymous and in an anonymous environment when we still need to have some record or of transaction? And if we have any transactions, can we still deduce information from that? Uh, and like, I don't know if it's safe to say of like, no, like you'll just never, you'll never have that because everything will be public. So there will be a way to get back to you to some regards, but to your point of yes, like we'll at least making it off chain prevent that or at least be more resistant to it. I agree. Yes. I think it will. Um, yeah. And like you said, some other properties of verifiable credentials we got proof of attendance so it's your typical poap nft so mm-hmm. um, you go to a conference they can issue a verifiable percent a vc verifiable credential that says hey you showed up here mm-hmm. uh, they're non-transferable they're non-sellable you can set them to expire so uh, driver's license maybe you know driver's license expiration date. Um, doctors with renewable mm-hmm. education credits 
like, vaccines, like, oh, same. you know, whatever, whatever those vaccines you yeah, get every yeah. seven years or something. Yeah. Oh, like tetanus. Is that the one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I just had to look that up actually recently. <laughs> it was very difficult, but it was, I finally got it. Yeah. <laughs> the information at least I got it. Yeah. Finally so, got the vaccine. <laughs> yeah. No, I got two more years until two or three more years until I need to redo it again. But yeah. when I crashed in the dirt, I got that infection. <laughs> I got concerned. I was like, what if it is tetanus? Like, I'm screwed. So but it wasn't. Um, and then the last two, they're free to create and they're independently verifiable. Yep. Yep. I like that. And she also said, and looking up on Disco too, that these VCs are tamper uh, evident. Um, I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? I, I thought I've heard her say tamper proof. Um, or tamper proof, so tamper evident. Like just I don't know, so, I don't know what yeah. evident means. I guess evidence that you did try to tamper with it maybe. I don't know what yeah, that means. Yeah, that, that would make sense. I don't know how they can make that tamper proof but maybe i know they're cryptographically signed so it, it it does involve cryptography even though it's not on the blockchain mm-hmm. um but yeah I don't, I don't know the technical specifics of how they work yeah it's kind of it, it's kind of funny like we we can protect and encrypt all this information and it can be you know resistant against quantum computers and ridiculous you know future like 50 years from now it'll be you know fine or like it might be crackable we can do all these things but if the user input screws something up on the front end we're still screwed because that's literally exactly the same way that they hacked uber most recently was just they they just were pinging a contractor over and over again to just send that like verification coding finally did. Uh, <laughs> then he just screwed, screwed the pooch on the whole thing, which is kind of funny. And then the same thing that happened with Twitter too, before it was just something so simple and silly that they were able. And so we can do all these things to protect on one end, but we might not if someone malicious finds a way to, to kind of get into the, to the back end or like impersonate someone at that point. Mm-hmm. But cryptographically i think impersonation is the thing that we're really protecting against here which is the main then the rest we gotta put into the faith of humanity which is pretty scary too but um at least this gives us a lot of a lot of assurances on the front end i mean even with web3 and blockchain like you know i have a private key written down on a piece of paper someone can come into my you know find this piece of paper wherever i've hid it in the world steal it and then they have access to all of my crypto that seems pretty yep. not secure <laughs> yep but this is the literal security of of blockchain yeah well if you think about it it's probably more secure than a bank account or a safety deposit box where someone can go into there always Versus the, I, this limits the number of possibilities of how this. Yeah, gets and I guess out. it's like a password to my bank account. Like it's the same shit, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like if someone gets your Apple ID and figures, like if someone has your phone and knows your password to get in, like you, I, you lose a lot of things immediately. Yeah. And there's no, yeah, it's just like, what do you do? So, <laughs> um, so that's interesting. Um, One of the examples that I really, uh, there's a few like, you know really good examples of like, okay, we have this technology, what can it be used for? I really like the DAO example. So let's say you're a member of a DAO and you perform some sort of work. Let's just say it's, I don't know, like graphic design work. Mm -hmm. And then you go to another DAO and you want to do graphic design work, but they don't know anything about you. They don't know if you're good. They don't know if you've done any work before. There's no way to trustlessly prove that you did great work at another DAO. So Basically, you just have a fresh start, and you just have to earn your trust again. As an anonymous, too, staying anonymous. Yeah, if you want to, but like, but trustlessly meaning that you just know that you're good without having to trust someone saying they're good, right? Mm -hmm. So with Disco, theoretically, you could do some work at a DAO, and they could issue you um, some sort of verifiable credential that proves that's that says hey you you did this thing you've earned this reputation and then you go to another DAO and you say hey look at my reputation that i've chosen to show you in my backpack 
I've, I've, I've said you can look at this. And maybe you have other work that you've done um, at other companies or other DAOs. I think that's pretty cool. So if we wanted to take that and put it into a Web2 example and, and kind of modify that, the way I understood what you just said is that I can work at a company. Let's say the company mm -hmm. is the DAO. So I can work at mm -hmm. a company for five years and I can have a bunch of projects that I've put on my LinkedIn from that company and maybe a recommendation or two from that company as well as on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, but I also worked at a couple other companies before that. I maybe had something in between. Uh, maybe I went on a sabbatical and just like didn't work for two years. But I, instead of someone going to my LinkedIn profile and seeing all that information, I now get to decide being like, hey, would you hire me? By the way, here are my credentials, and this is what I did with this one company here, and this is all that stuff. But they don't need to see my sabbatical. They don't need to see my other work mm -hmm. history. They don't need to and see anything else. And they can trust it, right? And they can they, trust it. Because they can open up, if they really wanted to, they can verify that every one of those VCs are signed by the companies you say that issued them to you. So right? Because right now, gaslighting okay. or do, yeah. making up stuff. Like right now, like you got a, you know, we've got a portfolio of projects in our website. Like we're the only ones saying that we did those, right? Yep. Everyone looking at a website just trusts the fact that we did them. But yep. if we had those in this data backpack and you could open up that verifiable credential and say, oh, like that company signed that with their, their cryptographic keys, that's proof that they gave it to us. So we couldn't we couldn't spoof that we couldn't fake that. So it's basically yep. like Clutch.co for us in our world. Yep. Um, because we're trusting Clutch and our clients are trusting trusting Clutch that our testimonials are real. In this and case, the, yeah. And the did or the address is that Clutch reaches out to someone with said email address domain. Yep. But if there was a way to like spoof that domain, which like maybe there is, maybe it's not. But they like and the phone number they don't really probably check and all this other stuff. But there's there's ways that it can break down a whole lot easier in our current world right now in state versus VCs and dids and yeah. disco. Yep. Yeah. So I think that like a big part of verifiable credentials, at least what they're focusing on now, is this. It's an annoying term, but she calls them proofs of work. And I hate it because it, for the longest time, I thought she was talking about proof of work. But what she, but I, then I realized she was saying proofs of work. It's literally then like you proving that you did some sort of work. Yep. Um, and so you thought of like the whole ether, like how the... Yeah, I thought, that, I thought she was talking about like yeah. proof of work, and I was like, "What does this have to do with this?" For, so my <laughs> mind immediately. So my mind went there second, but the first place my mind went to was uh, math proofs, uh, and like mm. when we were still in college and just having to show my work, and I was like, "Oh, I hate this! Like this is so, <laughs> so difficult and confusing." So same yeah. thing, same concept. But the, the one piece on trust that I was trying to figure out here was so. I think the example they use is this diploma thing. So it's, okay, yep. I've got this diploma that's a verifiable credential. How, and I go apply for a job and they, you know, are checking my education history and want to make sure that I'm, I went to the university that I said I went to. How mm -hmm. do they trust that I, that the diploma they're looking at came from Miami University? And I thought it was really cool that, you know, they can see the who signed, who issued that verifiable credential to me with the signing address. Uh -huh. And the way that they can connect that address, because it's still just a string of random things, right? How do they yep. know that that's actually Miami? And the way that they know that is because Miami can attach their decentralized identifier document uh -huh. to any public identifier. And in this case, they can add it to it as a DNS record to their website. Mm -hmm. Yep. So just like you add, yeah, so, so they can add just like a text file or that's how you set up emails or whatever. So you can add a did doc to their DNS. And <sighs> the, so I when heard the employer, that, but only now when you said that, did it click? 
Yeah. So when the employer is verifying it, they can say, okay, I trust Miami.edu. Yep. Because that's an .edu address. And that yep. is attached and I know to Miami.edu is attached to this. Or actually, it's MiamiOH.edu. Yeah. It yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's attached to this. Yeah. And then um, that did issued my diploma. Yep. The, so the same. So if anybody um, isn't familiar with this uh, in the marketing or analytics term, the same exact thing right now happens with Google Analytics. When you want analytics on a particular on your own website, you need to be able to prove to Google that you're gathering information on this website, and you also that have you to own embed some stuff. Say again. That you own the website. Yes, that you own the website. And so in the DNS settings of that website, you need to put either a text file or either in the header or something, something that proves that you would not be able to do this unless you really did own it. And uh, it creates this handshake between your website and Google Analytics. And it says, yep. we agree, I, I own this and you can use this. And so that's yep. what they're accomplishing here is it's a handshake between this public address, yep. which is a website, and the verifiable credential and or the and the did it's basically saying i am who i i say i am yep and i guess you could say well how do you know that's going to be real for sure or you're basing this entire security and this authenticity on just like a website address i for anybody to think that that isn't a realistic solution i feel like everything we do nowadays is based on just that to, mm-hmm. it, it would be analogous to a mailing address too. You can move, or you can keep the same, but like there's ways to prove that that's been moving and so forth. And I'm sure they'll figure that out as well. But. Yeah, and she also said that you can attach this did document to any public identifier like Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, which I didn't. Maybe that's like not implemented yet. But if it is, I don't understand how that works. I, I though. Do you think that that would, like when you say that, I think that there would be a setting within LinkedIn or Facebook yeah. or Twitter that says like, hey, if you have a did, this just is like my if did. you have a URL website, like you can just paste it in it, here. That's got to be how, how it's implemented. Probably. Which, you know, now that dids are a, a, a real standard by W3C, that's a real possible thing that could happen. I agree. Yeah. So, and maybe they already do, and I just don't know. But in theory, let's say Twitter in your settings says, "Okay, put your put your did in here, and you can mm-hmm. put your decentralized identifier." And now your Twitter profile, so whatever whatever you're at, Sean Crow five, uh, publicly is attached to this did. So when I issue, if I issued one of our employees a verifiable credential that said they did this work. And it's attached to my Twitter address publicly. People can trust that that's real. Yep, exactly. Yep. Um, so the the cool thing that this does is um, these dids and VCs and so forth are funny because we talk about how they're going to like the Web three world is going to abolish Web two, but I really don't. But like the the more we do research, the more we learn about this stuff. I don't think Web two is going to go away, or there's going to be still many use cases for Web two, and oh, this yeah. is one of those where it serves almost as a bridge or kind of link be- between the two, um, because it's it'd be almost silly for us to just destroy everything we did before and start anew. This is just we're building anew, learning from our previous mistakes and the things that didn't work leveraging a lot of the stuff that already works um, and maybe eventually it'll be replaced and completely abolished just because it'll be useless but that'll probably be uh, 20 30 years down the road at the <laughs> that's probably the only negative to the web 3 the brand of web 3 is that you might assume that that means web 2 is gonna go away but like you said even in 30 years, Web 2 is going to exist. We're still going to have apps on our phone. Not everything's going to be blockchain. So I agree. Well, it'll take 30 years for the government to realize that maybe they should be on Web 3. Yeah. Uh, So we'll have the equivalent to websites on Web 3 (laughs) by that time. Maybe we'll actually have a voting system that they can utilize blockchain for. I don't know if it'll be voting. It'd be cool, though. Um, But it would be... 
You know, it would be so nice. What could be cool is that if you did all your financial transactions within the Web3 ecosystem, there's a proof. Uh, imagine how simple taxes could be at that point. That that would be entirely programmatic. So um, now we're getting a little bit off topic here. So going back to Disco. So one of the things that was said is that Disco allows you to leverage things like Lens, which we've already talked about, or even you know Deso, and to make profiles even more rich. And I thought that that was cool because all of a sudden someone has the ability to take from their data backpack and say, hey, I actually want to post all these things or some of these things or make private some of these things to certain groups that I'm a part of um, onto these profiles that I already have within these like social networks. So I thought that was pretty cool too. How, how does that work? I, I didn't stumble on that. So like in, with Lens, for example, all of your posts are public and on-chain. How, how would your data backpack interact with that here? So I think this might be, and I'm no expert, but I think it'd be more so like the profile. So you, Sean, posted something. I, Sean, can also include to, on my profile that I went to Miami University. Mm. And I can also prove that I really like wine because I have, I've drank all these wines, but I'm only going to show these VCs or these badges or these wine club memberships to the wine club ecosystem or to only my followers that are on there. That's the way that I understood it. Does that, do you think that's right? So, so basically you set up your lens profile and in the settings there during the setup, uh, it would be reading my data backpack and I basically say, I consent to give this information, this information, this information, and that's it. And then that would show up in my lens, my lens. Profile. Yeah. Yep. Or you might even be able to, uh, monetize it to say like, Hey, only people that actually pay to follow me or something can see these extra things. Mm -hmm. Um, the, it, I don't know if content is the right way to think about it, but I think, if we think about this being some sort of like private content that I want to share, mm. I can choose to do what I want with that. Maybe I don't know if that's a good, good or bad parallel, but kind of makes sense. Yeah. I wonder if like where this ends, like, is it just little data snippets or I don't think you could build a lens type thing solely on disco. I don't think that makes sense because everything's private by default. So that wouldn't make sense. Yeah. No, because this is, this is your stuff. So yeah. I don't think what's in your backpack is a post. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, like right. I don't think it would be like, Hey, like I'm following you. That's a private. I, I think that the, it's like more public, but the, the cool analogy of this whole data backpack was neat. And I guess this is circling back a little bit. Right now, what's public on the blockchain is uh, your financial history and transactions. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Evan was talking about how this is just like everybody's just an account. And I just see how much money you have or how little yep. money you have. And yeah, right now, yeah. So right now in Web3, all you, you know, I can share like Sean.crowadeath. Every single person can go see how much money's in there and what <laughs> NFTs that I own. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. And you have no no more information uh, to that. And so this kind of breaks down that so that when you join, I guess we should have talked about this when we we're talking about the DAOs, you know, going from one DAO to the next. So when I do go to the next DAO, not only can I prove that I have very little money in my address, but also uh, and made very poor <laughs> decisions in terms of investing things, but I can also prove that I I have done really good work in here or another spot. Um, there's something that kept on popping up in multiple videos. Um, they were called primitives. Mm -hmm. um, I tried coming up with some research on how to define that or what that is. Did you, by chance? So uh, you and I have actually just... talked about this before. And, I, and from what I understand, it's like this Web3 term. I had not heard this term until Web3. But ba basically, the way I understand it is that when these new technologies are built, 
there's things that they call primitives. So when we were talking about lens protocol, the primitives oh, for okay. lens yep. are the profile NFT, mm-hmm. the post NFT, and it's like it's like the basics, the basic components of this technology. That's how I get understand the it. Primitives of disco are the VCs and the dids. Exactly. Yep. Okay. That, that's oh, cool. how I would I would I would describe okay. it. If we don't aren't getting that right, then that's terrible. <laughs> but hopefully, yeah. hopefully we are. Um, what else do I have here? I I thought it was cool that there is no gas fees, and this is totally free to free to create no gas fees because this isn't on chain. Like it's, that's the yeah, whole you reason. Can create them with the speed of an API. Yeah. And the amount of electricity and power and energy that it actually takes to do this is merely whatever it takes to power the device that you're actually on. Mm-hmm. And to verify, it takes whatever time and effort that it is to basically visit a website. You know, like it's just there. So it's very, it's very elegant. Yeah. One of the examples that she was talking about was if you're in an Uber and you know, you're given five stars or whatever. And so over time you develop this Uber score Mm -hmm. in a world with disco, that Uber score would be in my backpack. Yep. And in this world, I could then go to Lyft. And so like without disco, I go to Lyft and I have to start over. I have to get a new rider Mm-hmm. rating every time right totally separate yep. systems but in a world with disco i can go to lyft and say hey i've got this awesome rating over the last five years on uber you can check it out which i think is cool but why would lyft trust the ratings <sighs> that uber gave me that's a good that's what i that's what i don't understand well like, what if their algorithm sucks and Lyft's like, no, we don't recognize that. Well, but think, but that's just assuming that this is the first time that you're interacting between Lyft and Uber. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, if, like, Lyft, and, let's just hypothetically say that you have been an avid Lyft user, Uber user, because you worked for Uber, uh, and you never took a Lyft because you didn't like them. But all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you go to a market where there's really no Ubers and there's only Lyfts. Exactly. But you were an avid, you, like, let's say you had 5,000 trips and your score was a 4.99. If you, like, went to Lyft and Lyft was like, yeah, if, if you've had that many trips and so forth, they were familiar enough as to, like, this matches with that, they could give you some sort of benefit. The same way that if you're a wine club member and somewhere prestigious, and another wine club, and you discover a new wine club, they can say, hey, yeah, like, I, I, I guess that's good. My favorite example of what Evan actually mentioned with regards to this was um, from, a credit in the, from a credit perspective. She gave the example, and I thought it was genius. If you're an American, living in America right now, there's three different credit, uh, um, credit agencies, credit bureaus. If you want to become an expat and all of a sudden move to France or another country, you have nothing. Uh, and there's, there's no way to prove that. But if you want to get a loan out in, let's say, Poland or France or something like that, all of a sudden you can have this information that you can prove and kind of share. And at least it gives you some sort of chance that this is legitimate and makes it so much easier as opposed to just never that being overly complicated. You know, it's still probably going to be complicated for a really long time, but it might make it at least a little bit easier. So, so what I don't get is like, what's the difference between that and what and today? So let's say this score goes into my data backpack. I guess the difference is that they can prove, like it's verifiable that this credit bureau signed that credential. I guess that's the big unlock. Yep. In this situation, versus yep. me just saying, giving him a piece of paper that says I, I got this score. How many times? Okay, maybe, maybe not in your scenario, but in my scenario, um, I have many a times seen where you need a like a notary. You need to have something notarized that's been properly translated or something and that it's really come from the source and you need that like single document, whether that's for like a birth certificate or something. Like imagine if you 
like I want to get Polish citizenship too. I need to get this information from my parents. I need to get like the legit documents and all this other crap, bring it on over and then prove this. I cannot do that in a non-physical almost way versus this mm-hmm. would enable me to just digitally be like, yeah, boom, boom, boom. I have all the check boxes checked, you know, yep. um, making government more efficient. What a, what a dream. <laughs> it's going to be a long time until, uh, disco gets that far. This is what we said, <laughs> 20 or 30 years. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I liked her, her dream of in 10 years, the dream is that in 10 years you could be invited to a rave in the Louvre in Paris. Uh-huh. And all you need to do is grab your suit, your dress, and you have your disco profile. You walk through security at the airport. You walk through security at the Louvre. You get on a plane. You get into the party. And you don't have to do anything. because, mm-hmm. And you choose what you want to show up with from yep. your backpack. Um, I thought that was a cool dream. Is they, they literally want this to infiltrate every part of our life. To yep. take this, this data with us wherever we go. Data yep. backpack is such a good analogy. It's genius. I love the data oh, backpack. Genius marketing. You know what? This funny thing is that I think kids in five or ten years, or like the the kids that will be born in five or ten years, will have no idea what a backpack actually is. <laughs> yeah, they will. It'll, it'll be the same thing <laughs> as the save icon, and it's a three D printed yeah. floppy disk. You know, is that that's what they think, or the floppy disk is? Um, yeah, they just like what, like what will they really be bringing? Uh, yeah, the computers will be so cheap; they'll just be uh, everywhere. Um, <laughs> one of so the cool thing, and th- this is the cool thing about the whole NFT things as well, and the the PO apps and so forth, is that this um, ability to prove things. And so one of them was like to prove that you were an early fan or that you've listened to every single one of Taylor Swift's songs. 1000 times and you know the words to every single song and so then you have these like it it's cool because there's so many more like um avenues and possibilities that were previously almost impossible to make yeah because spotify does that year in review or whatever they call it and yeah yeah you know um some of our friends are huge t-swift fans Mm -hmm. and like you said, if they listen a thousand times a month or they're in the top 0.1% of listeners, Spotify could issue a verifiable credential that says this is true. Like this person listened to this this band in, insane, in the top 0.1%. And yep. so all of a sudden that's part of your data backpack and you can take that anywhere, not just within Spotify. So I think that's cool that you could go to a Taylor Swift concert and – now all of a sudden she knows trustlessly that you are the top 1% of her fans and they can unlock an insane experience for you. And, and the, the cool thing is that Taylor Swift doesn't need to be the only person that can actually unlock that. Mm -hmm. That can be a bar. Anybody anywhere that just says, Hey, like if you happen to be in this category of just like a crazy music fan for these three artists, like come on over or just like any artist, and, that. and it'll be interesting. The, um, the different ways that kind of comes up she talked about schemas too. Did you get to that point? A little bit. And I think that was just the schema of what dids are. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I have it pulled up here. And but it was reference, basically that go ahead i was gonna say for like a schemas think of it as essentially um if you have a profile um each kind of uh like identify or like what's your name uh your age your address all these other things that would be kind of part of a, a, a schema and so the idea was that there will be universal um schemas for let's say universities and educational type credentials so that everybody can kind of follow the same format. So then we also don't end up with a hundred different, uh, different ways to actually use this stuff, which would be pretty cool. Yeah. And where I came across that word here is there's four main components of a did. There's the unique identifier, 
mm-hmm. which could be your wallet address or an email address or a URL. Yep. And then there's the did method, which is a string of text in front of that unique identifier that yep. lets any software that is interacting with your did know um, mm-hmm. what's going on. The third is the scheme, and it's literally just the letters DID uh, that are stuck in front of that identifier. And then mm-hmm. the fourth is a did document that we talked about, which is basically the three pieces that above that I just talked about all come together to form an identifier that allows a system that you're interacting with to resolve itself into a did document. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can contain a bunch of other information about you that you can, can control. Um, you can think of a did document as a personal manual and directory that helps others interact with your did. Yep. So, um, Oh, I don't know if you picked this up, <laughs> but Disco's, do you, do you know what? Disco is their DBA, doing business as. Did you, oh, catch, yeah? did you catch what their original name is? No. <laughs> Probably Nothing Inc. <laughs> I love <Nice>. that. <laughs> uh, so, um, questions that I have, uh, and, and is... Doesn't and this is like a two-part question here, but now let's just go to the one. Uh, where is the money behind this? Where does Disco actually make this money? Because they need to make money somehow, and there's zero percent transparency as to like how they make money. That's a good question. I have no idea how they make money. Did you find anything? I found nothing. <laughs> I was just like, I, I. They didn't mention open source. So they've got, how do they make money? Are they going to make money on like licensing these dids or like having these, but then they're going to create barriers to entry. I don't know. I don't know how they make money. So that's an issue. And she never mentioned this in any of the things, or maybe I just missed them all. I watched a lot of interviews too. Um, <laughs> Evan talking about disco. The other thing is, does this not centralize things somehow again? That's the biggest, um, I guess, argument against dids in general, not necessarily just disco, is mm-hmm. that it the decentralization maxis, you know, will say, oh, this isn't on chain. This isn't okay. Everything needs to be on chain. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm in the I'm in the club that uh, uh, not everything needs to be on chain, and I don't think it's a big deal. But. So what? So I I agree with that as long as it's decentralized to a point. Because what happens if Disco goes down? If Disco goes bankrupt because they forgot to make money along the way, since they <laughs> didn't realize it themselves and no one answered the question, what if they go bankrupt? Like where where does this go? Because all hmm. of a sudden, all my data, all my VCs, all my stuff, does that just? evaporate or like where where does it go i guess i would be okay if with this being centralized in quotes if it really didn't matter for just so that's a good question and i think the answer is that your verifiable verifiable credentials i think you can store them anywhere you would like mm-hmm. i don't think they're stored on a disco server i think you can store those on a decentralized system mm-hmm. i think so so i think you could put those on ipfs if you'd like to there is one mention to the ceramic network or that ceramic. they that they store things on on on, on ceramic so mm-hmm. this is what kind of concerns me here is that this stuff that we do with disco doesn't work without disco um because it Let's hypothetically say that, yeah, they go under and I still own these, but if I can't do anything, it's just kind of like parse. Remember that? Like you use parse, you could build everything you wanted. Parse went kaput because Facebook said no. And then you could host things yourself kind of, but then it just kind of fluttered out and died. Yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying, but I don't think that's how it works, actually. I don't think the VCs are all being stored on disco. You know, dids aren't stored on on disco. Yeah. They're, I think they're just enabling some of the tech behind it, but I don't think if they go down, all of our off-chain NFTs are gone. I don't think that's how this works. 
Okay. I think so, they're creating the APIs for, I think, I could be wrong here, for systems to basically check those verifiable credentials. Like if I walk into a coffee shop, I think they're creating a technology that would enable them to mm -hmm. access my data backpack. Interesting. Yeah, I guess things that hopefully we talk to Evan. I would, I would love to talk to her. Um, yeah. I want to know how they make money. How, how, what role does Disco actually play here? Like, is this all dependent on Disco or not? Which is also the question of does do dids centralize this, and what other dids kind of companies out there actually, or organizations, um, like are behind it? Or sorry, projects. Um, if we talk to Evan, I really want to know. Where's the money behind this? Like, how mm. how are they making money? Like, what's the business model? Um, does this centralize things somehow? And also understanding of like, if Disco goes away, what happens to this stuff? Yeah, like, what if I've, I've built up this reputation over the past five years of of professional work, and Disco goes under? What what happens? Yeah. Or can Disco not go under? But yeah. if no one's running it or managing it, does the other stuff like matter? I imagine still? it's a really simple answer because when you create your data backpack, you connect your wallet. So like, mm -hmm. there's still a chain involved here. Yep. Um, unfortunately, it's still closed beta, and I have not been able to get access yet. I did email them um, to see if I can get access in preparation mm -hmm. for this show, but I didn't get it yet. So, yeah. uh, but you do connect your wallet. Um, to create your data backpack. So there is some sort of on-chain technology being used here for something. Yep. To make it more confusing for people. <laughs> the other piece is like, well, what information does Disco have on you? Mm -hmm. Like, do they have information on you or, or nothing at all? And also what what do they store? I, I really just want to know like what what's their goal here besides all the feel-good stuff and the the good missions. Mm -hmm. Like what's yeah? What's the what's the business behind it? And then what's the what control do they have? Yeah, and looking at the docs too, it looks like their tech enables you to be able to issue credentials as well. So mm -hmm. as an employer, we could go on here and issue a credential to one of our employees. Yep. Uh, so they're they're basically building the tech to enable us to do that. I think one other. <laughs> So disco is cool. Dids are cool. VCs are cool. Everything is cool. Let's say. Um, I wonder how long it's actually going to take because for this to really work at scale, there's going to need to be so many players within this space. We're talking mm -hmm. employers, university. I mean, look how long it took for LinkedIn to get off the ground to like be somewhat starting to be accepted now as like a standard. It's going to take a long time for any kind of industry and it seems like they're really trying to target the, the music space a little bit more here than the others but also education uh, like for this to be wholesome and this like and, and meta or metaversity then they're going to need everyone to partake in it well i think they don't need everyone to partake because it's it's like not that siloed, right? It's to be successful, they could like they just have to start in one little industry mm -hmm. and it'll work. But then another industry can also start using DIDs and VCs and it'll work as well. So like she was saying in one of her interviews is that the like this whatever governing body of universities got together and they're actually yep. looking at verifiable credentials and DIDs. They're not working with Disco at all. Mm-hmm. But they're okay, that's cool. they're very thoughtfully going through and figuring out what a diploma looks like as a verifiable credential using DIDs, mm -hmm. and this is a thing that like the governing body of universities in the United States is considering. But they're this isn't Disco pushing that agenda. This is mm -hmm. them using the open sourced standards that they foresee as being part of the future. And Disco just happen like utilizes that technology as well. I think. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what other kind of 
disco competitors can actually help this yeah. all kind of work together. That would be an interesting question too, like on, on the competitor side, although I would like to know that. Um, would would be a, a, like, what do they need to really grow and blow up in a good way? Like, what's mm-hmm. that? What's that catalyst going to be? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, they're still, like I said, still closed. Um, so, yeah, I wonder what when they open the, the beta open, like, what is going to be the big use case? Because that's mm-hmm. probably what they're doing now is just figuring out. Okay, this we're going to identify the one use case that's going to blow us up. Yeah, that'll be cool. Cool. I don't know if I have anything else. Can we just appreciate how cute Ava is sleeping behind me this whole time cute using that Ava's, pillow? Like, come on, Ava look at this. It's very cute. <laughs> also, you're doing this. You're you're doing this recording. You're you're very devoted to the Web three world. Doing this on your birthday. Oh yeah, today's my birthday. Yeah, happy happy birthday. We're recording Thanks. on Sean's birthday. Will yeah. you issue me a verifiable credential that says I'm 31? I I could. Yeah. <laughs> If I ever got access to disco. <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah. Uh, I will be the signing body. I'll have it to document. Yeah. Yes. Very nice. trustworthy, I promise. Actually, why don't we just have Ava, Ava sign it, you know? <laughs> yeah. so. Cool. Well, that's all I got, too. Cool. Okay. Well, this is good. Like it. <laughs>